Welcome to this new edition of Café Klingendal, the podcast series of the Klingendal Institute. My name is Rem Korteweg, Senior Research Fellow at the Klingendal Institute, and I have the great honor of being joined today by Mr. Klaus Welle, the Secretary General of the European Parliament. And for the next few minutes, what I would like to do is to have a conversation about the role of the European Parliament in European reform, the agenda ahead, the challenges that the EU faces. And I can think of no better person to have that conversation with than Mr. Vela. So thank you very much for joining us. The impression we have of the European Parliament is as a, an enormously important institution in EU policymaking, but at the same time, at some distance to the average voter. Now, this is arguably a misperception, but it is still something that plays in the domestic politics in the Netherlands and certain other countries. And so the question I would pose to you, Mr. Vela, is how do we get rid of that misperception? I think it's true that all institutions, national and Europeans, took a hit after the financial crisis 2008 because citizens have come to the conclusion that institutions haven't been delivering properly. When you look at support rates for institutions, in fact, European institutions are much lower than they used to do before 2008, but they are above the support rate of national institutions. It's true that the European Parliament is physically at a distance, but our members are investing enormous time to directly connect we are doing so through our communication activities and we are really inviting citizens to engage more and more. We are also getting closer to them. We've opened a number of Europe experience. Uh, for example, in Berlin, we had already 250,000 visitors in the last one and a half years. So we are not only waiting that people are coming to us, we are also going to them. Um, we try to really be at the forefront also of technological change. I think what was an important innovation at the last election, where the Parliament has been pressuring quite a bit, was the system of lead candidates, which mm. means that European political parties put forward a lead candidate, which then citizens could relate to during the elections, and the winning party is now running the European Commission through the European Commission president. So, in fact, people need to have a choice Brussels shouldn't be something where you have no choice, but citizens need to have the possibility to fundamentally change the direction of politics. That was successfully introduced in 2014, and we will fight for that in 2019 the system will even further develop. The, besides the Spitzenkandidaten process, there's also discussion of transnational lists uh, for the upcoming 2019 European Parliament elections. Is there any other type of institutional reform that you uh, can envisage, perhaps not immediately for, for, for 2019, but perhaps for the, the years beyond that? What would make a more perfect European Parliament? I think the European political families play a key role because, in fact, it should all be about choice. And choice has to be the choice among different political concepts. So the political groups play an important role, but also European political parties, which are um, supported very much by the, by the European Parliament, because that's then giving alternative choices for politics among the citizens. Uh, we try to be as close to the citizens as possible. 
our president Antonio Tajani has started a whole series of consultations on all kinds of policy fields. For the moment, we have on a monthly basis a major conference where we consult citizens about their views about important topics. Um, and I think that's that's one of the instruments uh, we would like to we would like to further develop. One of the areas where the European Parliament is going to, where already has played an important role, but now will increasingly so, is on trade. As you mentioned in your speech you gave at the Klingenau Institute, which you can access through our website, you made the point that the European Parliament is the final institution to sign off on international agreements, including trade agreements. At the same time, we see that trade as such is a very controversial issue these days, where people talk about globalization being under under threat. Um, we see this in the rise of nationalist political parties, in, in Euroskepsis, if you will, it oftentimes is focused on trade. How can the European Parliament act as a remedy to some of those reflexes? You're right, the European Parliament has enormously developed over the last 25 years, in fact, beyond recognition. We are equal lawmaker, we are electing the European Commission, we can have the European Commission step down. But one of the latest innovations was that on all international agreements which fall into the competence of the European Union, the European Parliament now has the last word in terms of a vote in plenary, but also we accompany the process actively, we have to be permanently informed. And that's giving us the possibility to introduce the concerns of the citizens into the process. And in fact, especially in trade, Parliament has uh, impacted on trade negotiations quite a bit. We have, for example, made sure that uh, conflict settlement is uh, improved, Parliament is not just in favor of free trade, but we want fair trade. Mm. And there is also a growing group in our societies which maybe feels they are not profiting. So to make sure that trade and free trade and free trade agreements are to the benefit of all citizens and not just those which are maybe more mobile, more educated and more, more savvy in their own economic uh, uh, behavior, uh, that's a key concern for the European Parliament. And a very important one at that. Um, in your speech, you talked about four external threats to the European project, if I can paraphrase you. You mentioned the behavior to Europe's east, uh, mostly uh, research in Russia, the problems that Europe faces in the south, to the west, a question mark regarding uh, the future of transatlantic cooperation. And you also mentioned Brexit as one of the key areas of concern. If I may just zoom in on Brexit for a minute, because in 2018, real important progress has to be made if we are to avoid a no-deal scenario. What role do you see here for, on the one hand, the European Parliament, and on the other hand, what kind of threat does Brexit create for the European Union? First, it's correct that uh, when we look all around us in the east and the south and the west and in the north, we see a lot of insecurity. And compared to that, uh, the European Union, with all the problems we are having as well, uh, looks nowadays rather like an island of uh, stability. Brexit um, is not dominating the European Union agenda. Mm -hmm. The European Union is uh, focusing now on its own future, uh, but still it needs to be settled. 
The key thing the European Parliament has always insisted on is that rights and duties are in proper balance. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you don't want to take certain obligations anymore, like freedom of movement, like on the budget, like the European Court of Justice, uh, if you don't want to belong to the uh, customs union and the internal market, this, this, all of this has consequences. So the key concern is, of course, that citizens are not suffering, neither British citizens in the European Union nor European citizens in Britain, but surely that we do a balanced agreement. Mm. So to a certain extent, Britain itself has to determine its level of ambition. And if it doesn't want to accept the Court of Justice, if it doesn't want to pay into the common budget, if it doesn't want to allow freedom of movement, then logically we arrive at a settlement uh, which is rather uh, similar to the one with Canada. Hmm. And the issue of the threat it might pose to uh, European integration, because you also hear the alternative, which says that Brexit is actually an opportunity to move forward with, uh, with EU initiatives. Through Brexit, we have lost a lot of capacity, mm. but there are core areas where we have one capacity to act. For example, to move forward in the areas of, of security and defense, border protection. These were always issues where Britain was rather putting the food on the brake. What is sure is that after the vote on Brexit, the support of the European Union across all member states has gone up quite drastically mm -hmm. because I think increasingly people are seeing we could also lose it. And if we lose it, uh, the consequences for us, including in our daily life, could be disastrous. Yeah. So um, that is giving us also new opportunities to argue the case for Europe. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Vela. And just to finish off that point, the European Parliament obviously has a very important role to play to ratify any withdrawal agreement with, uh, with the United Kingdom. So we'll be very involved with the Brexit discussions. Thank you for this moment and for uh, taking the time to talk to us. And you can access Mr. Vela's speech on our Klingendal website. Um, and should you be interested in Klingendal podcasts, please register at www.klingendal.org.